He and Tom and I spent most of our wild and reckless youth exploring that island. Lots of caves, lots of adventure, if you know where to look. To all drivers awaiting your car, please stay on the sidewalk until your car arrives at the boarding area. Guess who? Yup, just called to tell you I still don't know why I called. But I'm thinking about it. When the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake, spooks come out for a swing and wake. Happy haunts materialize and begin to vocalize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to meet all your favorite Disney stars as the Magic Kingdom proudly presents W Radio, your information station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 416 for the week of August 23rd, 2015. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com and subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. The fourth Disney's D23 Expo was held last weekend at the Anaheim Convention Center. And once again, guests from all 50 states and 28 countries came together to celebrate all things Disney. So this week, I invite you to join us around the table as we revisit, review, and recap the event and discuss some of the many things we learned at and about the Expo. From movies, to theme parks, to Disney fandom, and everything in between, there were so many things we took away, literally and figuratively, from the D23 Expo. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show, as I'll have more information about upcoming events and meets of the month. So sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. With more than 260 presentations, panels, concerts, demonstrations, meet and greets, merchandise signings, sneak peeks, and fans from around the globe, there was a lot to see, do, enjoy, eat, interact with, and discuss about the recent D23 Expo held from August 14th through the 16th at the Anaheim Convention Center. And like every guest that attended, I was unable to see and do it all, not even close. So this week, I invited some friends to join me around the table to revisit, recap, review, and discuss what we learned at and about the D23 Expo. So please grab a snack, pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join me in welcoming welcoming my guest to the roundtable. First and foremost, he is a friend and a member of the WDW. She is a member of the running team and our sort of on-the-ground reporter. She is, of course, the lovely and talented Miss Liz Driscoll. Heidi ho. 
I always do ladies first. And the keeper of the box, self-proclaimed, but you will definitely be back in 2017, and also a running team member, Mr. Corey Bassett. Hey, everybody. Or do I call you Airman Corey Bassett? He is a member of the United States Air Force. Thank you for your service. Thank you. A, uh, we have a pattern here of runners and all-around nice guys, because please welcome Frank Hart. Hey, everybody. Not just a friend and a guest, but a presenter at the Expo, the handsome and ridiculously talented, except when it comes to Skype, Jeremy Marks. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and the man who thinks that the D23 Expo is just kind of one big birthday party for him. Happy birthday, Mr. Tony Thunderlips Caggiano. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> and my partner, both on the show floor and in the booth, she is the queen of the squishy carpet. She is <laughs> Princess Becky Mankin. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show, Lou. I appreciate it. It, uh, it seems like hours and days since we all enjoyed uh, the expo and the food <laughs> together in California. And I need to say, you guys just thanked me. I need to say thank you to each and every one of you before I forget, because I could not have done the live broadcasts all three days. God help us and save us without your help. And the expo, like food, is enjoyed with friends. So, Corey, you were sort of in charge of the live broadcast. Thank you so much for, for manning the box. Frank, you and Corey, you lined up for grilled cheese sandwiches for an hour and a half. Um, Liz, you were out there on your feet in lines for panels and Tsum Tsums. So thank you. Uh, Tony, I sincerely appreciate all of the hurtful pictures and texts that you sent me for three days and beyond. Uh, Jeremy, for not giving us anything to heckle about during your presentation and still talking to us despite the hordes of raving fans. Um, Becky for always making it interesting. And uh, also big thanks to Brandon and Alyssa Weissman. Uh, Brandon shot video for us and Alyssa helped cover the expo for the blog. So I thought the way to maybe best cover it rather than try and go through a day by day synopsis and recap, because again, I think even the seven, eight of us combined still didn't get to see everything. I think there's a lot of things to take away from the expo. And I think we learned a lot of things, not just about the parks and resorts and the movies and Imagineering and, and things like that. But I think we learned a lot about uh, the, the fans that come to the expo. And I think we learned a lot about the expo itself. So I'm going to take us through 10-ish and probably more. And I'm going to welcome your input as well. Some of the things that we learned for and about and at the expo. Uh, I think that we should talk about the 3,000-pound Bantha in a room Let's face it, Hollywood Studios is going to be a construction zone for a while. It's not the only place in the park. Uh, good things take time, and there are great things coming to all four Disney parks. I think we all saw the handwriting on the wall for a long, long time. But Star Wars Land, this proclaimed whole new getaway planet on a remote frontier town, is coming to not just Disney's Hollywood Studios, but to Disneyland Park in Anaheim, California, 14 acres, which is no small park. I mean, sort of putting it in context, if you think about it, uh, 14 acres is larger than Cars Land. Uh, Disneyland itself is only 85 acres. So I think Cars Land is something like 12 and Hollywood Studios is 135 acres. So I think this is the thing that 
People were really excited about, although they were a little confused when we got the official confirmation during the uh, presentation about the uh, from the studios from Bob Iger. Now, I know, I think, Tony, you were in there. Liz, you were in there. I did not go to Parks and Resorts. Okay, never mind. I, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I was in Parks and Resorts, and, you know, we've heard a lot about this supposed Star Wars thing that was happening. They never really um, confirmed anything. But And everybody was kind of speculating, oh, is it going to be like Tatooine or kind of like how Star Tours here in, uh, in, in Orlando is, uh, you know, it's like the Ewok Village. But it is something brand new. Um, the whole Star Wars land is a planet that they've never even explored before. You've never seen it in the movies. Maybe it's coming out in the newer films. But once we saw... The concept drawings, I mean, my jaw dropped. It's it's um, it's inc- incredible what they have. If it sticks anywhere close to the concept drawings, it's going to be incredible. Well, and I think the thing that I saw, too, that I really liked was they seem to really make a point about talking about story. Right. It, it, it is it is going to be nothing is going to be out of character or stray away from the Star Wars mythology so everything is going to be in story so i think that i interpret that to meaning that everything from not just the attractions and the decor but the merchandise and the food i mean look the cast members are there's no cast members there they're going to be star wars you know aliens they're gonna be local inhabitants really sort of making you feel like you have stepped through some type of portal into another world yeah that's what they said to me that sounds incredible for i mean imagine going to walking into possibly a cantina like scene or a restaurant and having the waiters and wait staff and the hosts, um, hostesses all in character. Um, the shopkeepers they said are going to be in character everywhere you go. It's going to be a completely immersive story. You're going to be in star Wars. So for, uh, Star Wars geeks like us. I mean, I was just, I was freaking out and I had my kids there seven and eight years old and they were bouncing out of their seats when they heard that. And I interpret that to mean, Tony, I mean, we, I think most of us have probably been to Star Wars weekends. We know what that section of the park looks like at yeah. Hollywood Studios. I think it's going to be something beyond that. I think you're going to see oh, yeah. costumed characters in characters walking around. There's going to be droids. There's going to be funny looking, weird, you know, Bantha like animals and, and everything else going around because it's not going to feel like, like you said, like uh, human cast members. In costume, it's going to be real inhabitants of this world that you're stepping into. Yeah, and in the concept drawings, they they show the the Star Wars land, the, whatever this um, kind of bordered outer rim planet, as they described it, and uh, the Millennium Falcon is sitting there. So, it, from from the looks of what they're showing, there's there could be a full size Millennium Falcon sitting there, and they're also saying there's going to be a Millennium Falcon ride. Is the other thing that they went into. Yeah, so the Millennium Falcon secret mission is one of two signature attractions. The other is going to be the New Era battle, the sort of epic Star Wars adventure. It's going to be in between the First Order and the Resistance. But the Millennium Falcon, the thing that I saw, and maybe I'm sort of hanging on on a single word, was they talked about customized secret missions. And I think the, the important use of the word customized makes me feel like it's going to be less like a star tours type attraction, then it will be more possibly something like a test track theme attraction where you have some sort of input into either the ship or the story or the destination or something, because it is going to be customized to you, the guest. Yeah. When they said that, I was really excited because 
just like you said, with Star Tours, it was really cool that when every time you get on there, it's a little different. Like I just rode Star Tours yesterday and it was actually the first time that I was in the pod racing scene. So that was really cool. But the idea of having it customized and I don't know if we're going to get to pick or design our ships or whatever, but I'm really excited about that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And I mean, there's obviously a, a lot more. And the people were talking about, well, where is it going to be? They didn't really sort of show concept art. We know in Disney in Disneyland, it's going to be where Big Thunder Ranch is. We kind of can assume it's going to be on the west side of uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, although we don't know specifically where. That makes me start to question, look, when we see this all the time. When new things come in, inevitably certain things have to go away. So does Indiana Jones go away? Does Muppet Vision go away? Possibly. Um, yeah, there's a lot of rumors swirling around about I've heard rumors about two of both of those attractions. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I love the Indiana Jones attraction. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't visit it every time. Um, at this point, I've seen it so many times. So some people are really nostalgic and they're always as a as an, a an attraction leaves. You always hear people lamenting and, oh, I can't believe they're getting rid of it. But if you really sit down and ask people, you find out that those same people aren't always right. going to those attractions, to be honest with you. Right. Um, right. Who's is, is yeah. everybody going to Muppet Vision 3D every single yeah. time they go to the park? Probably not. No. And um, I'm excited. The level of, um, I don't know, intensity, like how deep into this story it appears that though they plan on going, I'm just so excited to see that. And I think it'll be, unfortunately, we're going to lose something, but I think it's going to be such a huge step up from where they are now that, um, you know, it's an acceptable loss in my book. That's just my opinion. I'm looking forward to it. Right. Tony hates Muppets. I get it. So the other question I wonder is, <laughs> although the attractions are probably going to be identical, you wonder because the, the layouts of the parks are different. You wonder how these lands may be similar and how different they may be. We talked about this, I think, all of us while we were at Expo on the floor and in the booth in terms of, you know, when is it going to be open? And they really don't give any hint to that. I mean, you have to assume that they're probably not going to start until 2018. Probably it's going to take yeah. probably at least three, four, five years. So, I mean, are we really looking at a 2021, 2022 opening date? Thoughts, anybody? Time frame? We keep hearing rumors of 2020 to 2021, everybody that I've spoken with so far. But, of course, it's just rumor. Who knows? Right. Because remember, Cars Land, from the time they announced Cars Land to opening, it was five years. Right. And you're doing, the, you know, you're doing the same kind of thing. I mean, you got to take everything down and build from scratch. Right. And you got to move everything and then you've got to keep everything going and then you got to put your concepts in and then you got to test and adjust. There's a, a lot of time there, but we're only talking five years away. And that's not a lot of time to put as much detail and story in that they're kind of promising us in the storyboard. So that five years will go fast. Yeah. And and, and we're going to talk next about some of the other things that are coming to, you know, help satisfy our need for, for new things. Uh, you also wonder too, in terms of opening time frame, can or will they, or do they want them both to open at the same time? Right. Do you try and have a simultaneous opening on both coasts or do you stagger them uh, you know, a little bit differently. Good I think, question. Because I think you, you can obviously, because obviously the, the, the dominoes are falling at Hollywood Studios now, but Disneyland really hasn't started doing anything with that space that we can see, right? Right. I think, uh, I think from a Disneyland point of view, uh, 
you almost have to assume it's going to come second in terms of Hollywood Studios, just because if they're talking about moving back all the infrastructure behind uh, Toontown and, and Thunder Ranch, that's going to take some time to move all that stuff. And whereas Hollywood Studios have kind of already laid the groundwork for all that. Yeah, and you know, and and you start to think, you know, I'm I'm sort of thinking both grand scale and then minute details about you know restaurants and food and and how deep they're gonna immerse in story and how different this is gonna be than anything else that we're going to see. Um, you know, will they serve alcohol in Disney? If the, if in Hollywood Studios, not an issue. But can and will they serve alcohol in Star Wars Land if they open up a Star Wars cantina? At Disneyland, because other than Club Thirty Three, there's no alcohol there. Right, but Club Thirty Three does own the um, the liquor license, so it'd be an easy push back there if they decide to do so. Hmm. Yeah, because and I think I think one of the interesting things also with Disneyland will be what do you do with Star Tours, which is in yeah. Tomorrowland, right. and the Jedi Training Academy. So do those move out of where their location is into the new Star Wars land, and does something new go there? Right, because I think uh, I think Disneyland said that. They said Disneyland doesn't serve alcohol, but stay tuned for details about Star Wars Land. So are they going to consider this almost a, not, that, not a separate gate, but its own kind of land separate and apart from Disneyland? I'm just going to drop the mic and walk off stage with that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, is it safe to say, I mean, it is of all the other things that they announced, and let's sort of hit very quickly on, on what else is coming, because I think even before Expo, I said that I, there was going to be more coming, not just to uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, but to Animal Kingdom and to, you know, all the parks are getting something new, right? So obviously we know about Pandora. We, we saw the the concept art. We saw the movies. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Uh, Animal Kingdom's getting Rivers of Light and the, the Safari. Hollywood Studios getting the Toy Story land where you sort of are shrunk down to the size of the toy. You're playing in Andy's backyard. It's the claw. It's the slinky dog ride. Love it or hate it, Epcot is becoming frozen ever after. We're getting soaring around the world. And in Magic Kingdom, I think food is an attraction, so I'm kind of jazzed up about the Jungle Navigation Company Skipper Canteen. <laughs> is there anybody who is is more excited for anything else other than Star Wars is, It was the question that I had. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was I know a lot of people were on either side of the fence with uh, the Pandora and all that sort of thing. But when I went, I've seen a lot of concept art and we know the construction's going on. You could see it from Cedar Cranes from my room when we stayed at uh, Animal Kingdom Lodge a couple months ago. But when I saw the layout, the model that they built, it's a lot bigger and grander than it. I expected it to be. Um, I'm not sure how many acres that area was. You might know, Mr. Trivia Guy, but um, it is big. And they have the floating mountains, and they show the bioluminescence, how it's some of that, how that's going to work. And um, I think that even if you're not a huge fan of Avatar, that this land could make you a huge fan. I mean, it looks that good to me. And I think the same holds true if you're not a fan of Animal Kingdom, right? So yeah, absolutely. My, the second thing I, I was, was going to say that we learned was that you need to get a passport like now because you need to get a passport to go to Pandora and need to get a passport to go to Shanghai. Let's touch on Pandora first because we finally, for the first time, got to see not just concept art and imagery, 
but we got to walk into the model that Imagineering uses that so you can get down to eye level and really get a sense of they didn't give us numbers, but you get a sense of just how massive. I don't mean just horizontally, but I mean vertically. This world of Pandora is going to be. And I don't know if you guys noticed how, again, immersive like Star Wars it's meant to be. The Imagineers working there discussing Pandora were not from the Disney company. They were from Ace. They were from the Alpha Centauri Expeditions, and they spoke to you as if you were not looking at a model of Pandora, but a model of this world, this other planet that you were going to step into when you get through that portal. I was just going to say the model definitely helped give a perspective of Pandora that we've never been able to have before. The concept's been there, as Tony mentioned before, but to finally get a perspective of even the little characters that they had standing in the walkways to really show just the immense size of this uh, new land that we're going to be able to visit was a really good help. Yeah, Jeremy and I looked at it together, and when the uh, they were giving us the tour, they said that the little, um, you know, you're looking at the model, and they have the little plastic people walking around. They said those are scaled to be a six-foot man. And we kind of looked at each other like, wow, like the like the scale <laughs> right. vertically, it is going to be huge. I mean, huge. I don't think people can ex- really – I don't pe- – I didn't expect it to be so – it's huge. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. Vertically, it goes straight up in the air. The floating mountains are not just like rocks on a string. They are huge mountains. It's incredible. It is uh, just beautiful real quick. and – I was going to say, um, it was beautiful, especially when the lights came down and it really showed off that bioluminescence. I think that's really going to be the key to, to making that, that full-day park that everybody st- still says is still a half-day park. But bringing in that nighttime piece, uh, the way it looks from the model and the scale of the model and the bright colors and the beautiful glow of that is just going to be breathtaking at night. I- I'm going to come back to this for a second, but... I want to give kudos to WDI because I don't. I didn't get a chance to to chat with him. But did any of you get to go and see and take a picture or talk to Joe Rody while he was there for two days? Well, we ran over because a friend had messaged us that he was in there and he was already in and gone. I know a few people that did get to uh, meet him, talk. You know, he wanted to know what people thought. Um, but before we could catch up with them, he was uh, gone and on to something else. Yeah, but I know he was there, uh, I believe, Friday and Saturday. Uh, we didn't get a chance to go over and chat with him live on the box, unfortunately, but I did talk to some friends at, at WDI. We were trying to coordinate our, our timetables. But I love the fact that they bring Joe out to not give a presentation, but like you said, Liz, to stand there and talk to guests and answer their questions and take pictures and get their input and feedback about Pandora. Oh, yeah, because there were the the five, like, animal, I'll call them maquettes, um, to the left of the model, which are, there was such amazing detail. I mean, we were stopping, taking really close-up photographs of them. And then as you were moving on through, you saw, um, you know, the concepts for, I'm guessing, what are going to be the cast member costumes. And again, the amount of detail that's already there, the amount of, you know, work that's already been put into that. It just shows how rich an experience it's going to be. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys got a copy of the brochure they were handing out. It was almost like a a little travel brochure for this journey to Pandora where they give an explanation. Again, like we were talking about Star Wars, about how 
you are going to be able to travel to Pandora, that it's located, you're not, it's not an animal kingdom. It is on a nearby star system and it's full of rainforests, exotic creatures, enormous mountains that actually float, inhabited by a dynamic indigenous people called the Navi. So that makes me start to think again, you're not, it's not like you're going through Camp Mini Mickey or Asia. You're going to walk into a world where there are nine foot tall Navi walking around we are going to see i think in my imaginary hopeful disney geek fan eye we're going to see those banshees flying overhead the same way we saw you know that alpha version of it when new fantasy land opened a few years ago yeah i think that at first i was kind of wondering how they were going to um take pandora like avatar land and make it part of animal kingdom where it really fit and when I saw this, it's not so much that they're recreating a movie as much as recreating the planet and the wildlife and, um, you know, the the wilderness of this planet. So when they, the way they were describing it, it was you're not stepping into the movie per se where you're going on the adventures that were in the movie, but you're going to visit this planet. You're going to see to go and tour this wild area of a completely foreign planet. Right. I mean, I they give you, they really give you, fits in. I'm sorry, they give you travel tips in this guide. You know, be prepared for rain, pack for tropical weather. Mosquito-like yeah. creatures exist on Pandora, so bring repellent. They give you a Navi phrase book so that you're able to communicate with some of the inhabitants. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm really excited about that. Were any I mean, of you was- maybe not as excited about Pandora until you went and saw the exhibit or saw the, the model? That would be me. Yeah, me as well. I appreciate I appreciate you guys being honest. What was it, Corey, when you saw the model that that changed your opinion? Well, I mean, I've seen the movie, and the movie is amazing. But uh, kind of like Tony was saying, I didn't want to go see a recreation of the movie. I, I could stay home and watch that. So when they talked about how they're going to recreate the planet and the environment with the bioluminescence, is like. I have to be there, and I have to see that. And then when we saw the model, it just even more so. I have to see what's coming with with that kind of technology and that kind of immersion where I just step in and I'm no longer in the animal kingdom anymore. And that is what excites me the most about it. So when I said uh, that uh, a takeaway was that you need to go get your passport, I was saying tongue-in-cheek, for Pandora, but I was being serious as a heart attack, man, when I said to get a thing, because when I saw Shanghai, which is really sort of the, the, the keystone of the Imagining Pavilion, how many of us looked at each other like, oh, dude, we got to go. Like, we need to go and see Shanghai Disneyland, whether it because of Treasure Cove, Pirates of the Caribbean. I think for a lot of us, it was Tron or just the environment. I think a lot of us were seriously thinking like, hey, we need to start figuring out when we can go to to shanghai after it opens in the spring yeah the tron is what jumped out at me the most for shanghai one reason i'd really love to go out over there but the other concepts that they're showing what's going to happen out there is really pulling me in um it's going to be different than a lot of the other disney parks a very interactive castle and just a different setup and so it's going to be different enough that people will want to go and see this it won't feel like you're on the east coast or the west coast it's going to be a very different experience yeah, the uh, the the battle for the even the Pirates of the Caribbean, the battle for the sunken treasure, and that treasure cove. I mean, is breathtaking. You saw not just video of it, but concept art and construction and sort of a, a pre-vis, you know, 
fly through of it. First of all, it looks huge, and it looks nothing like anything I've seen. I mean, I've never been to Tokyo before, but it doesn't even look like anything that I've seen in terms of what's in Tokyo. Yeah, it looks uh, it looks amazing, and even um, even some of the new updates they're doing to classic rides look very interesting. Like the uh, Peter Pan ride, they had that video of like a redesigned flying ship, where it looked like maybe it leaned a little bit more. You got a little more view of the the cityscape and the the scenery below you. It just looked like they were plussing everything uh, for that Shanghai Park. Yeah, even the car- even the carousel, the Fantasia carousel. I took photo after photo of. The model because each of those uh, carousel horses is modeled now after, you know, from Fantasia. And I think it's just going to be amazing to do, like Frank's saying, some, something we're used to, the carousel, but giving it a whole new vision, a whole new feel. Yeah, and Frank, you travel overseas. You go to, to China a lot. It's not that bad of a flight, right? I mean, it's only on the other side of the planet for most of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Shanghai from L.A. is probably about, you know, 16, 17 hours. So it's not too bad. Yeah, that's like four episodes of WWE Radio. So you're good to go. (laughs) Pop a couple movies in. You know, and and, uh, not to go off subject of Shanghai, but, you know, you brought up the fact that I travel overseas a lot. You know, I've been to Hong Kong Disneyland and, you know, they have a Toy Story world there or Toy Story Land. And uh, a lot of the attractions that they're talking about bring into – to Hollywood studios are very similar to the ones that they already have there. And based on, you know, some of the concept art and things that I've seen for the new version, it looks like it's really going to plus what I've seen in Hong Kong. And I also think what it's going to do is help bring a much added uh, or much needed more family friendly area to Hollywood studios where, you know, Tony can probably relate where he's got young boys, his may like roller coasters. My son is kind of a wuss and won't ride them. <laughs> so, you know, to have some other options besides Toy Story Midway Mania for my son, uh, besides Tower of Terror or Rock and Roller Coaster, you know, w- will be very good for him. So, you know, the uh, the Slinky Dog Ride and some of the other ones are going to be uh, nice additions to that park. You know, I think I found it interesting how Shanghai really was sort of the, the the cornerstone of the Imagineering Pavilion. There wasn't really a lot about Disneyland, you know, there wasn't, other than uh, Walt Disney World, uh, no real sort of displays other than uh, what they had for Pandora. They did have some Star Wars stuff off to the side. So I really get the sense they are really trying to drive international visitors not to come to the u.s but we as maybe u.s visitors to go and visit some of the overseas park and i think this i think d20 expo might have turned a lot of heads and who, who saw that uh exhibit firsthand yay nay yeah i think no. so i think even that even like you said the attractions that we think we know pirates attractions or an alice in wonderland attraction uh, even the carousel Everything that they're doing that they were showing they're doing in Shanghai really is like the next level of each of those things. Right. So even though there's kind of – it's familiar, kind of like somebody from Disney World, like one of us who – I grew up going to Disney World. When you walk in Disneyland, it's different, but it's very familiar. I think you're going to get that vibe when you go out there. There's going to be something familiar about it, something that feels like home, like Disney, like where we all love to go. But it's going to be newer and updated um, the audio animatronics that they were showing, even for the Alice in Wonderland, uh, the maze, I forget the name of the rock, the name of the attraction, but it was incredible stuff. It's really like 
like I said, the next level of something we know and love. I yeah, even those, th- those dis- oh sorry, go ahead. Good. I was gonna say those displays really did elevate interest because we got a lot of inquiries right away of when is it gonna be open? What hotel should we stay at? Do we need a visa to go to China? So I think that even putting it out there in front of all the fans who are really likely to go and absorb this brand new um the elements that we know so well on an elevated level, uh, I, th- I think that it's going to gain some interest and we're going to see some U.S. going over there to, to check it out. I mean, to me, yeah. it just has such a different feel. If, take, take the attractions themselves out of the equation. You look at the exterior of the Tron coaster. You look at some of, you know, um, what do they call it? Like Mickey Avenue and, and their fantasy. I mean, they look so very different. I mean, if I was to say, hey, let's do a group trip out to Shanghai, who in here would not raise their hand for interest? I I mean, certainly try. Crickets. (laughs) Yeah. No, No, I I really, I'm really excited to check it out. Like what we saw there was, I mean, it was, they showed these rides, these incredible new experiences. Um, Like I said, I'm coming back around to basically saying the same thing I said. It was, it's, it looked, it was so new, so updated that I'm really excited to get out there. And I think they know that. I think that the fans, the hardcore fans, they really drew us in with that, with that pavilion. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to agree with Tony. He hit the nail right on the head when he said that, you know, there's something that looks so familiar to these parks, but it's going to be something so new. And that was the feeling that I had the first time I went to Hong Kong. And I think Shanghai is even going to plus that. And I think Disney has done a really good job putting these new locations uh, overseas in places that are very easy, very easy for uh, us Westerners to get to. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, it's a it's a quick plane ride from L.A., from Chicago, from JFK. You know, and also they're also in areas that are used to having Westerners come over a lot. So. Um, they're very accommodating. A lot of people speak English, including the taxi drivers or the subway system. So a lot of it would be very easy for people from the United States, from Europe, uh, to travel there and, and get around easily. And I'm sure some people are saying, you know, Lou, I just can't afford to go to Shanghai. I got to wait so long for, for, you know, Star Wars land and Pandora. That's okay, because I think another takeaway that we got from Expo is that if Disney was to offer lifetime passes for all the Disney movies, you should go out and buy them right now because there are, it, it, is, it was a super, in pun intended, lineup for what is coming from the animation and live action films. I'm going to run through them quickly and then I want to hear from the people who were there because animated films, they talked about Zootopia, Moana, Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, Toy Story 3, Incredible, Toy Story 4, sorry, Incredibles 2, Cars 3, Coco, which is the the Day of the Dead film, and oh, by the way, let's not forget Captain America Civil War, although I would love to have seen Spider-Man, Force Awakens, Pete's Dragon, Jungle Book with The Rock, Sleeping Beauty, Pirates of the Caribbean, Finest Hour, and The Queen of Cotway. I mean, there are a ton of blockbuster-looking films, and the people who were there, I know Liz and Tony and Michael, who couldn't be here, came out of those panels like eyes wide, brains falling out of their head, like, OMG, I can't believe what I just saw. So let's sort of take the the animated films first. I think, were you two the only guys who got to see those panels? Yeah, I I didn't get to see the live action. We were walking over there before at like 6 a.m., and someone met us in the middle of the courtyard by the entrance to say, 
it is full and there's already four rows of standby. So I wasn't able to, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't sit for six hours with a seven and eight year old with the risk of not getting in. But we did the animation. And I got to tell you, like, I knew some of the films that were coming out. Um, specifically, like, the big one to me was Moana. I knew about it. And I was like, I wasn't indifferent to it, but I was excited. You know, I figured, oh, it'd be nice to see. Then we go in there and they start talking about the film and showing clips, um, showing some of the animation from the film. This is. I studied animation school and to see this kind of really rich, vibrant, natural animation of water and the, you know, the ocean and the beach. And then they have Dwayne, they announced about Maui, the God and uh, Dwayne Johnson is, is doing the voice of Maui in the film. And he comes out on stage and he had everybody just, I mean, he got everybody worked up about it when when it was done, when his when the presentation was done and we saw the clips from the movie and heard from the director and some of the stars. Michael Berg and I looked at each other like we had goosebumps. Sincerely, we were like, we need to see this like tomorrow. It was that exciting, that movie. Yeah. And Liz, you said the same thing, too. And I think Moana was the film that not a lot of people necessarily were, were talking about. They're like, ah, oh, it's another princess film. But everybody who came out was blown away, not just with the characters and the stories, but really with the art itself. You talked about how these oceans and just the, the, the greenery just sort of came to life in that small clip that you guys saw. Well, and I was going to say the exact same thing Tony did, which was the water, the seashell. I mean, everything came to life in, in unexpected ways in ways that you didn't know animation could do that. And you're like, oh, that is so real. Um, and The Good Dinosaur, when they, you know, went to the other films, The Good Dinosaur, you did not know. If they had not told you, you wouldn't have thought that wasn't a real leaf, that that wasn't a real water droplet. And you're looking at it, you're like, wow. Like, you just came out going, wow. Yeah, and then the story itself of The Good Dinosaur, just before, the day before we went to... Or no, that morning I met Peter Sohn, the director, and we talked and um, he was so enthusiastic about meeting my kids and the kids were really excited about the movie and he's telling them the story. This is the director of the film who's who's doing a meet and greet, a signing, and he's talking to my kids for – I think we were there for like five or ten, almost ten minutes and he's so excited about this film and he's thanking me for bringing the kids to meet him and he's taking pictures with the kids and – then when he came on stage and uh, I knew a little bit about this film and he starts to show the story and they showed one clip that absolutely I, it sounds like a bad thing, but it ripped the heart out of everybody and like such so much heart in this film. And the story was so beautiful. And to see the director of the film passionate and excited about it, that that's another movie that jumped, you know, up the rungs of movies I want to see. And everybody's talking about the the Civil War and the Star Wars coming out and all this other live action stuff that we I know I'm excited about. But all of a sudden, I walked out of there like I cannot wait to see Moana. I cannot wait to see the Good Dinosaur. So and, the and presentation Coco. itself was amazing. And, and Coco, all of a sudden, Coco, which we may have heard about here or there, oh, story development or whatever. And they're like, oh, and here's Coco. And everybody just went, wow. I mean, it's just the animation, the level of animation, the storytelling. Um, amazing to see them bring these very, very different kinds of stories 
and pull them together. And there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't a sound in the room when you're, when you're listening to them tell the story behind and what's coming and, you know, the day of the dead. And, um, you know, they're even showing little concept art from, you know, where they've gotten ideas from the, um, ride in Mexico, the Rio del Tiempo, Donald Caballeros, pick a name. (laughs) (laughs) It's changed a few times. Well, so I, 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 there's something that you you both touched on that brings me to another point. You know, I think for a lot of people, we all they come to 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 expo for different reasons. For some people, it's about seeing celebrities and it's about signing. How impressive and or important is it when you see a Bob Iger, a John Lasser? More importantly, you see the producers, you see uh, uh, the, the directors, you see. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres comes out. You see The Rock come out. You see the voices come out and, you know, Pete Doctor's there and they show Riley's first date and people just lose their mind. How surprising and impressive and more importantly, how important is it when you get to see the principles from these upcoming films come out on stage and talk about it as opposed to just a, a PR or marketing person whose name you might not know? For me, it was a big deal because, like I said, meeting Peter Sohn, the director of The Good Dinosaur, and having not just like walk by and sign an autograph, thanks for stopping by, high five and walk away, but to sit there and talk to him and see his passion. And he was just so excited about the film. And after meeting him and listening to him talk, like Michael Berrigan and I were like, I want to be friends with that guy. Like, I want to go have a (laughs) beer with that guy. So how could I not be excited about his movie? Because I got... For a brief second, I mean, I felt like I really got to know a little bit about him and see a little bit on the inside of what he was trying to do with uh, with this film. And he also talked about he did a little cartoon about he and his mother, who didn't speak any English, going to the theater and how everybody would be laughing in these live films. And she would just be sitting there shrugging. So he would translate into Korean what she was saying. And she'd kind of look at him and shrug again, like, okay. but she would watch these animated films. And he became so it became such a big thing for him as a child because his mother could enjoy and feel through animation more than she could from live action. Like it transcends the the uh, language barrier. And that's why he became an animator. And that's why he put so much into this film. A lot comes through this film. There was a scene that they showed. And everyone in the place is crying and not a word is spoken in the scene. You know, it harkens back to like the beginning of Up. And it was as powerful a scene as that. I promise you there's a scene in this movie that is every bit as powerful as the scene in Up, which to me was one of the most powerful in all of uh, Disney animated films. Well, and I think it's the surprise aspect too, right? So Johnny Depp coming, you know, Johnny Depp is like, we need a big surprise. Call Johnny Depp. So he, he was the big surprise. I think in 2009, he was a big surprise at the legend ceremony here. But look, when Stan Lee comes out during the, the parks and resorts or Kevin Feige, who we know is a fan first, like he loves Disney. He loves what he does and comes out to talk about Civil War and the Easter eggs and the people who are involved with Silly Symphony and the Broadway stuff or whatever it may be, I think that's a really neat treat for the people who maybe aren't expecting to see some of these stars. Look, Becky and I, the only thing that we really got to see was the Once Upon a Chime uh, panel one evening. Uh, and when Josh Dallas gets up and, you know, takes off his Django Fett mm-hmm. mask, 
every woman in the audience just like <laughs> squeed uncontrollably. But that's the kind of things that they do that I think is is a real nice treat for fans. So obviously there's a lot coming on the animated side. There's a lot coming on the live action side. But unfortunately, none of us can talk about it because none of us got in to see it. That is my next takeaway. We told you, we warned you almost that you need to get there early. And we weren't kidding because the lines, especially to get into the the, the Hall D23 panels and presentations were insanely long. You know, we told you people were able to line up at 10 o'clock the night before. They were milling about around 8 o'clock. And I think you can all you all pretty much had a, a similar experience. You tried to get into the live action presentation, which I think started at 10 o'clock in the morning by 630 in the morning. That line was closed off. And yes, you could have waited in standby. But like Tony said, you might have waited for three hours more and then been told you couldn't get in. And, and you know, it, it's it's the blessing and the curse about having all these Disney fans there is that you can't accommodate everybody. But it was obviously frustrating, too, because. Those are some of the things that we wanted to see and, and couldn't get into because the lines were so long. And I think we would love to have seen maybe uh, a simulcast in the arena or somewhere else, even if you didn't get the chance to see it live. Because that, I think, Liz, you were saying we were following along on Twitter to see, hey, it's starting or, hey, they close the lines off, whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just after six o'clock in the morning and people were posting you know, everyone's being turned away from line. There's, you know, more than enough people. The overflow room is full. Um, you can wait and see if. And we kind of shrugged and said, no, we're not going to. Because understanding that it was also roughly 95 degrees all weekend. And those first couple hours you were sitting outside before they pulled you inside um, a little later. And we just decided, no. You know, we just had to make a decision. And it was hard. And I think and I think Disney adjusted from Friday to Saturday, like where they put the lines and how they had people coming in and the checking of the badges and bringing water out. But I understand the frustration that people felt because they, you know, and look, like Tony said, you can't go there with your two kids at 10 o'clock the night before and stay over hoping to get into a presentation. And I think the only solution that I was able to come up with was, you know, use a room like the arena where you can fit an additional 7,000 people and simulcast it there just so you can get the content, even if you don't get a chance to watch the actors on stage live. That sure would have been a nice idea if you could see it and not have to wait because stage pass was a great idea. I mean, they put it in, you can go, you can get your stage pass, but yet you get in the line for stage pass, you get your stage pass, then you got to get in the line that waits out there and you don't know if you're actually in the right line. It, it was a little confusing for a lot of people. That's for sure. Well, yeah. and what, what you're forgetting to put in that whole cycle is to get into line for stage pass, like for an afternoon panel, yeah. you could not get into line until 1230. Yeah. So everybody started milling about and making sub lines to get into the line at 1230, which you would then wait for 40 minutes to get a stage pass and then what happened for us was when we were at animation, animation ran long, which is fine. It was very rich and well-deserving of the time. But by the time we got out of animation, the stage pass, completely useless. We're gone. Right. Yeah. And no, remember, it was useless. We had one. Right. And wow. remember, too, the other thing is that because this year they haul, you know, in the past years, there was hall A, B, C, and D, and then they used the arena this year, they got rid of Hall D to use that 
for the panels. So everybody was now crammed into three halls instead of four. So it made it a little more difficult to move around. And again, like you said, the people milling about to line up for whatever. I mean, there was lots of lines everywhere because it was so much great stuff to see. And that's another takeaway. I think an interesting takeaway for me was that people are willing to line up to buy merchandise Right. Even when they don't know what they're lining up for, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> because the Disney the Disney Consumer Product Store was the hot ticket of the weekend. Because from the time, I mean, before the doors even opened, that line was two and a half to four hours long, and you yeah. didn't know a what was being sold inside, and b if they had any left. You were just hoping to be able to get some of the limited edition merchandise or the Jasmine collection or the collectible dolls or two words, man, Tsum Tsums. Like, Tsum Tsum <laughs> was like the hot ticket, man. When I told my poor daughter, like, I can't get you Tsum Tsums, it was like I was the worst father on planet Earth. And the thing with the lines for shopping specifically, uh, the Disney store line, there were three stores, the Disney store line actually never went down. Sunday at 3 p.m., it was still a two-hour wait. Yeah. What was amazing to me is when we walked into the store and we looked at that shelf that was full of dolls. And when I say full of dolls, there were five <laughs> shelves of dolls, three deep. And we turned around, and you, you were interviewing somebody, and we turned back around, and there were two boxes left. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. almost like you, you counted yeah. to you know, 1,002, 1,003, and they were just gone. It was decimated. It was and, amazing. And- and in case someone thought that, you know, oh, you know, the first guy in line bought 500. Absolutely not. It was a limit of two yeah. per style per item. So I could get two Mickey Zoom Zoom small and two mini Zoom Zoom small. That's it. Yep. Yeah. And uh, eBay is not dead, people. Just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> eBay is not. And, and, you know, it, it's. <sighs> It was interesting and sometimes frustrating to see because there were people that wanted stuff just for themselves or just for kids. And then there's people who are – I mean, Corey, I think you even mentioned we saw people getting into the Dream Store literally just grabbing two of everything, not even looking at what they're grabbing, just grabbing two of everything, throwing it into things. And then we saw people – at nine o'clock in the morning, standing outside the you know whatever time it opened, standing outside the the store, taking pictures of it and putting them up on eBay and watching the prices skyrocket exponentially. Well, and it's one thing if you yep. paid for it, but there were certain things that were giveaways that went crazy <laughs> on eBay too. So <laughs> the ball, the ball, the, the Pixar, the ball. Pixar ball. I'm looking. I'm looking at my Pixar ball right now. It's right there on. The I'll show. give you five hundred dollars for it right now, <laughs> cash. <laughs> so, so one of the things for me, just yeah. from watching the box with the Jasmine dolls, like I was just, you know, serving the the store, and there was the seven Jasmine dolls on the shelf. And a woman had come by as the box is just watching it, and she just puts her arm out and swoops them all into her <laughs> into her little basket thing and just walks off. Yeah, I think Frank, you were going to say something? seven Jasmine dolls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say the the other takeaway I got is that people can and do collect just about anything. There was a ton of free stuff. That was being giveaway and kudos to D23 and the vendors that were that were doing it because whether it was Pixar balls or trading cards or whatever, there was a lot of stuff to 
buy and collect, whether it was from the Disney you know, properties or in the Emporium. I mean, we were in the Emporium and saw lines for some of the unique collectibles there and then the stuff that people were buying and then getting back online again to get those things autographed uh, were, were equally as long as the lines to get the merchandise themselves. So, And there were some people that I think went there specifically for the buying of merchandise and getting things signed because that is their Disney passion. I mean, we saw people in all three stores, lines and things like that. By far, the Disney store was the busiest. The Dream Store actually became the easiest one to get into, and that had your Alex and Ani, your Pandora, the artwork, things like that. Um, but that did have the um, the uh, Legacy Collection, and if you bought two Legacy Collections, you got the free Disneyland Records T-shirts, of course, had to have it. Um but Mickey's of Glendale has, you know, that merchandise that you can't go get most of the time. You know, at Expo, they have that that Mickey's of Glendale. And that had a long line all day, too. I mean, that had that two to three hour line all day. People just wanting to get in and get, you know, their little piece. Um, but pretty much good shoppers, pretty much good people in line. You know, not a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Right. Well, I, I will say, I actually like, and you guys tell me, when I go to Expo, I, I like walking through the shops, but I really find that the place that I spend most of my time and ultimately most of my money is in the Emporium, which was this year was not in its own hall, sort of nobody puts Emporium in the corner. This was spread out through all three halls, and that's where I was finding I was spending my time and money, because that's where you find unique collectibles you find merchandise from the parks you find unique artwork and and that's another thing i would say talent is found everywhere you look throughout the expo not just in the movies and the parks but the music things the the authors the artists that all have their own interpretations of disney whether it's a sculpture there was a lot of you know noah was it love noah and his work there's a lot of talent there and there's a lot of no matter what it is that you like or collect, there was something for you. And for me, I found a lot of things in the Emporium. And what about you guys? Like, Frank, did you do any shopping? And if so, where was it? Yeah, I, I did uh, some at the Disney store, uh, but a lot of mine was done also like you with the, at the Emporium, because I think you and I talked um, a lot of things that we like are some of those classic things that you can't find anymore. And you saw a lot of that, like old park merchandise, some old big figs. I know you and I were geeking out on some Rocketeer um, merchandise that we found. And uh, I mean, even things like coloring books from like the 1980s, you know, I was like, oh, my kid would love that a DuckTales coloring book or something. You know, it's all those little knickknacks and uh, things like that that we were finding that really made it fun. And uh, that was that was one of the more interesting things I saw. And I love talking to the vendors because those are the real fans. Like those are the collectors that have accumulated this stuff for decades. And they'll tell you stories about, you know, where these things came from or how they acquired it or, or where. And that's some of the stuff that I loved hearing. And as we were walking around, Corey, you know, with the box, you know, you talk to people and like, oh, where'd you get that 20,000 league sub? Or where'd you get that, you know, big figure, the ticket or whatever it may be. And there's a story behind everything and i and i love that and that's some of the, one of the things that i i hope never changes is that is that they allow us third party vendors and participants to come in and be part of the expo and and show our wares and and trade and collect and and buy stuff on the show floor as well 
Yeah, and Lou, even that guy who was right next to your booth with the uh, the wall made out of all the old park maps, you see so many interesting things like that. That's It really does make it a unique experience. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, another takeaway is that, you know, I go to these things not just to live broadcast or go as a fan, but I really go as an observer. And even though I talk a lot, I, I listen and watch more than I talk. No comments from the peanut gallery, please. Huh? And, and you, one thing I saw again, and it really, you know, was validated by Expo, is that Disney fans are the most brand loyal people on the planet. No other brand, in my opinion, comes close and they come in all shapes and sizes and flavors from around the world. I think Disney said that they came from all 50 United States and 60 countries or 30 countries or somewhere around 30 countries. And I love seeing and talking to the fans. I don't mean W radio fans. I mean the Disney fans, whether they come in costume or they come to shop or they come to whatever. It's such an amazing array of, people that travel for so long and are willing to stand online and willing to come out to be part of it and be active participants, whether they are in cosplay or having a booth or just out there to meet other fans as well. I'm, I'm sure you guys saw that too. Yeah. We had, uh, we had, uh, come across some folks that, you know, we talked to, Oh, what are you here to see? What are you here to, to do? And they just said, they just wanted to come be with with their people they wanted to be part of their tribe and they had no plans and they were just going to see where where disney took them that day and i think that's it right you know that when you come to expo you know you sometimes i think we feel isolated and alone in our fandom and you know these are your people like everybody is accepted here you know we're all freaks right we're all disney freaks and you know that when you go you are amongst fellow freaks and i mean that affectionately well, even the level of cosplay that we saw this year, too, was kind of up a notch uh, from the, the couple of years before. It was kind of neat to see, especially, I can't get over the Tinkerbell that was all done in all the, I can't say it, Shurkowski, whatever they are, the crystals. <laughs> don't I, hurt, I can't don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself saying Swarovski. Spell it five times fast. But she was just covered in all these crystals and someone handmade little um, squares of her favorite Disneyland attractions on the bottom of the dress. And there were diamonds on her shoes and there were, um, you know, crystals in the wings. And it was just amazing to see what the creativity that people, not only back in the Emporium, but those who just showed up to, to play. And, and like Corey said, be amongst their tribe. It was very impressive. Lots of creativity. Yeah. And you also had the people who were not necessarily dressed as a as a character, but the Disney bound people. And as you were in line, you heard people talking. And they said, "Oh, you know, so you're Peter Pan, you're Wendy, you know," and and you would just see the accents people had chosen that day for their Disney bounding. And it really was neat to see both the truly the cosplayer and then the Disney bounder and how people were enjoying it in their own way. And especially when it was like 92 degrees outside, too, yeah. and you had to stand out in line. Some of those people were pretty brave. I give them yeah. a lot of credit. And I'll uh, I'll save Becky the, the trouble of telling the story. The only person, right? I don't <laughs> care about celebrity. The only person I wanted to meet was Lana Perea from Once Upon a Time. We're huge fans in my house. My daughter just wanted me to get something from or by her. And we finally get to the uh, the Once Upon a Time panel. I couldn't even get to the signing, right? Because we went to the signing. You had to have the dolls. And then the people just watching the signing were 10 people deep. And all I saw were the, the backs of iPhones and, and Android tablets. So we get to 
the once panel, we're off to the side. I'm sitting on the edge, and I look to my left, and I think it's Lana Perea walking up in the evil queen dress from like season one or season two. And I'm like, OMG, this is how she's making her entrance until she turns around and takes a selfie in front of the Once Upon a Time screen. <laughs> Somebody walks over to take a picture with her. I realize it's not her, but I will tell you, Becky, you, right? The dress, I mean, she was beautiful, right? But the dress was breathtaking in terms wow. of its accuracy to what you saw on screen. The detail of, of embroidery in that dress alone was jaw-dropping. It was amazing. And to tell you how accurate she was, and not just in her dress, in her hair, in her outfit, but in her face, Lou actually threw his phone at me, which <laughs> never happens, throws his phone at me and says, take a picture, take a picture. And there was a wonderful pose that she did holding his throat, kind of, which it, it's a great picture. It was a great moment. And she was dead on in her cosplay. She was purdy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're blushing right now. I, a little bit. I'm, I'm, right. So, I mean, she's just an example of, uh, you know, again, oh, the, the, the fandom, the level of fandom yeah. that's but remember, there. There was also um, Snow White. There was one that was dressed up as Snow White in, in the Once universe. And then there was another one as well. And all three of them got together. And it was like a character meet and greet for a while. Yeah. It was amazing. I, and, and look, it's so, it's neat to see how some people take that fandom to, you know, you mentioned universe. It made me think of her universe. I mean, look, Ashley Eckstein, yes, she's part of, you know, Clone Wars and things like that, but she's a fan for her. She designed the her universe line because she's a geek and she wanted stuff for herself. And how many women did we see walking around in her universe, Marvel stuff and Star Wars stuff? I, I, I dig that. I, I love seeing that, you know, the people that are sort of been able to take their passion for Disney or Marvel, whatever it may be, and turn it into something that they're able to share with others. A um, couple of other quick takeaways. Uh, I really think that D23 is sticking to its mission in, in that it's for fans and by fans. And I, I mentioned how we as exhibitors are able to be an integral part of the show. The cosplayers can come in costume. They have the design challenge. They have the mouse parade, the frozen fandemonium. But Jeremy, part of the reason why I, I wanted you here was because you are a person who is a, a, an example of that. You are clearly a huge fan first. You took your love of Disney and Disneyland that is now extinct, played with things on the side, and were invited to actually present on the biggest stage, you know, for any Disney fan. So can you tell us a little bit about how that happened and then what you talked about? Okay. Well, it came about in, uh, I believe, June this year. I was showing Becky Klein some of the new creations that I have done, recreations from the past of Tomorrowland. And with the number of items that I had worked on, she asked if I'd be willing to do a presentation at the expo because the archives is going to be given their own stage at this expo to focus on the history of the company. So you had a, a platform just for Disney history itself. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot and we'll see what can happen. And so I was given an hour's time to do a presentation on virtual reality recreations of multiple Disneyland attractions, including Walt Disney's Carrollwood Pacific railroad. So in, during my presentation for six and a half minutes, the entire audience went for a ride on uh, Walt's train throughout his property. 
And you, I mean, yours literally was like many of the presentations and panels, standing room only in a, in a pretty big room. And I loved watching again, not just you, but how people were responding to you because you spoke to them because you will clearly, like I said, you were a fan first and you've sat in their seats. You know what it's like to be there. And you created something out of love, man. Like you did it for no other reason than you just loved it. You created the thing that you wanted to see. And then the fact that you were willing to, sh- you didn't want to sell it. You're just sharing it with, with people for free. And then the thing that you released, and I'll link to it in the show notes, uh, just very quickly explain the sort of virtual reality thing that you could do on your YouTube app on your phone. Someone created about a month and a half, two months ago, a plugin for Unreal Engine 4 that will every frame or yeah, every frame, it would take a picture, a 360 degree picture inside the environment. And then I would have to stitch it all together in another program, giving us the ability to do a 360 degree video of an environment. And to be honest, the very first one I tried to do was the Carowood Pacific Railroad. But it's this technology is in such its in, uh, infancy that Google's plug-in program that they have to go into YouTube could not work on that uh, six and a half minutes. I need something shorter, so I chose the House of the Future. Two and a half minutes of a tour inside of this incredibly odd but really, really cool futuristic house, all made of plastic. And you can go in there and you can pause it and you can look around in every direction, see what it was like in 1957, 1956 when it was put in, and just enjoy it to its full, uh, full capacity. It's crazy, man. I mean, I was doing it on the show floor and I was blown away by, you know, what we were able to do. But, you know, like I said, that's that's what I love was and, and you know, you obviously had raving fans, you know, me and, and Tony and Becky and Corey. And a lot of people were there, you know, to watch and support you. But it, it was neat to see how many people afterwards came up to you and applauded you when you were in the, in the, the L.A. Times or L.A. Times did an article on me and the recreations because they also had a video of my recreations in the archives exhibit on the main floor. And the Carrollwood using an Oculus VR headset was being shown in another booth at the uh, expo also. So my work was in three different locations at the expo. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, you are not the only person who started off coming to the expo as a fan and in 2015 were there up on stage presenting to your fellow fans. And I think that that really does go to uh, the, the mission of... D23. And my final takeaway is sort of a good news, bad news one, uh, because a lot of people were commenting at the end saying, hey, there's no mention of nobody talked about 2017. There's no date mentioned about a future exhibit uh, expo, although I'm, I'm pretty sure I think we could say with some certainty that it is coming back. But I think we could also take away that the expo, sad as I like to as I hate to say, the expo was probably never coming to Orlando. And we talked to Jeffrey Epstein. You know, we sort of talked about this a little bit. And part of the reason why is not that they don't want to, but Disney doesn't really have any facilities large enough. And this was a great example of it this year. You need massive convention facilities to house an expo like this. The Orlando Convention Center, uh, the Orange County Convention Center, is too far away from Disney and obviously also too far to you know, ship all the stuff. You know, it's easy to do it in Anaheim because it's sort of where Disney is. That being said, there is actually going to be a D23 Expo overseas 
in Japan. Uh, this is the second one they're doing, and this, this next one is November 6th through the 8th, 2015. I hear Becky's wheel spinning going, why are we not going there? It's a good excuse to go to Tokyo. Um, but I, I don't think the expo is ever going to come to Orlando, but I think that's it's nice what, that they do the Destination Ds every year or every other year, so you can sort of get it on both coasts. Well, fortunately, yeah. we do have the Destination D going on both coasts, so that does kind of work itself out. Yeah, I can understand why they're a little hesitant to try to take it, like you said, to Orlando. There just isn't the the facilities near Walt Disney World to to make it happen. But also, all the star power that they bring in and all of the celebrities and all of the signers, it's so easy because most of them live right in the, the California area. And yeah, why aren't we going to Tokyo? Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just and- had to throw that in. And after going to Expo twice, I will say it you can see why it just works better being California based. Yeah. And it gives you an excuse to go to Disneyland too. Yeah, so. that's what I was gonna say. For me, it works out perfect. Every other year I wind up going to Disneyland because of it. So I love it. For your birthday too. So it My birthday. That's right. <laughs> so I wanna Again. ask you uh individually, we'll go sort of we'll, we'll go through all sort of point to you one by one. Give me your thing that you learned, your takeaway, your your favorite moment, your favorite surprise, whatever it may be. I, I believe in ladies first. So, Becky, I'll go to you first. Oh, thanks. Because I have to sit and think about it for a moment. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm doing that for the benefit of everybody else, basically. I know. That's just, yeah. Uh, just one. That's a hard part. Just one. Um, I, I got to say, I loved seeing Pandora because it did, um, kind of state to me into my brain that yes I've been kind of right this entire time that it's not about the movie which I wasn't a fan of the movie sorry but I am a fan of the land and the environment so actually seeing that um, that model got me more excited about what was coming and it was nice to hear that Star Wars Land is coming it was nice to hear the things that all the rumors and the speculation and to to get some of that um, under the rug but of course now we're all excited and we want it now not 2020 um and then, of course, the the fun, the heat, the lines, the 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 pure excitement of actually getting into the Once Upon a Time panel. There we that go. That was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Miss Driscoll. Um, I got to say, I, I keep going back to the good dinosaur as far as major presentations. Um, watching Jeremy do his presentation because... I was someone he was kind of throwing things at once in a while. Hey, look what I'm working on today. So to get to see something go from a sketch to the living presentation was amazing. And um, honestly, when I talked to, you know, my friends who maybe are not as into Disney as I am, um, I just kept saying to them, I'm like, you don't understand. My friends are all coming. And, and to have a place where we all come together and enjoy everything that we love. And I'm saying, well, you know, my friends are coming from Florida and Seattle and Utah and New York. And, you know, well, Frank came too, but yeah. Um, but those, <laughs> those people coming together, I think, take the expo to the next level. Uh, Jeremy Marks. I actually got a real uh, kick out of the interactive stuff that Disney's been working on, especially with Infinity 3.0, or as uh, Tony's kids know it as, 3.0, let's go play. So (laughs) just the technology that people are coming up with and working on uh, for Disney itself is amazing. And the ability to have fun with their products at home and still be able to be involved in 
just the different worlds that they that they're giving us. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the immersive, interactive, the infinity stuff. The what's it? The the play tech. Um, what's the, the other battle pod? The, ba- oh, the dude, battle the battle pod. pod was the coolest thing ever. Oh my god, I was like a <laughs> seven year old boy all over again. That was, that was awesome. Amazing. <laughs> um, and Battlefront, you know, and, and Battlefront 2. And again, the immersive technologies. I, I agree. You know, it's uh, we are seeing a trend towards no longer just being passive observers in the world and the IPs and the, the things that we enjoy. We are very much active participants in it. And Tony's kids are a great example of we don't just want to sit back and watch the movies anymore. We want to play in them. We yeah. want to play in those worlds. And that's and Tony, you can go next because I think. That's one of the things, you know, we saw you guys were online over and over again, not just to get the figures, but to be able to play, you know, to play in those worlds a little bit. Yeah. The the highlight for me this time was I had my kids and Charlene and the kids with me and they're at the age now where they're seven and eight and they are genuinely excited about these things. They were beside, obviously we didn't get to touch on it tonight, but they were beside themselves in the Disney interactive uh, panel you know, seeing the new games that were coming out. And that literally, we I had to pull my little guy down to sit him in his seat. He kept standing up and cheering. He was yelling. And people all around us were yell, were laughing. Um, but they loved just to be there with them and to, to get to see things that are coming out that were important to them as well as me. Um, and then the, the biggest thing for me aside from that was – as always, the park stuff is always huge to me. And to, for a guy like me um, to see this marriage between the partnership, whatever you want to call it, between Disney and Star Wars now, it, that was just as good as it gets to see this future of everything I've loved and uh, was really important to me as a little kid to see it coming to life now that I'm a grown man. it's It was really exciting. Yeah. I mean, for us 40-something-year-olds, they really have – embraced and acquired and expanded yeah. on our entire childhood. Yeah. For me, um, I'm being quite honest with you where it was, I grew up going to Disney world every year. And in addition to, to my love of the parks, the only toy I owned was star Wars. Sincerely. That was it. Like I barely owned anything else. Everything we laugh about it. My brothers always say my brother, Frankie's two years younger than me. And he always says it was more like a religion to us than, than, even toys, you know, as I don't want to blaspheme or sound crazy, but <laughs> it was like, you know, we had all these and every Christmas we'd all get these toys, but you know, he'd get a Darth Vader and I get a Darth Vader. Well, I got to keep mine in the, in the cardboard cause there's only one Darth Vader in the universe. And we were like, it was very serious stuff to us. And now like after we came out of the, the parks, uh, the parks panel, I was on the phone talking to my brother, like, you're going to not going to believe it. And I'm texting him photos and all sorts of stuff. So it was this, uh, you know, the good and the bad, it was crowded. There were a lot of people, but in the end I had an incredible experience. I learned a lot. Um, and, uh, I got to see, uh, see the whole thing through my kid's eyes too. So you didn't have like the evil Knievel stunt set or like the system yeah, seven I, gun, like none of that stuff. That, explain, no, that really explains didn't. a lot. I, didn't, that explains I had a lot. evil Knievel. I mean, I had the evil Knievel. <laughs> I was like, woo, evil Knievel. And then I went and I played with my, uh, Star Wars, but I had like, you know, I think I had 40 stormtroopers every christmas i wanted more stormtroopers i had and uh i had like 20 ewoks and my brothers and i would repaint them so they all look different like we were <laughs> obsessive it was fun you know and now to be 44 years old as of yesterday and uh to be there seeing that i was i was like a little kid again it's amazing nice uh Corey, now you saw a lot of 
the expo through the lens of the box. And I am grateful for that. And I'm sure your shoulders are, are, are still hurting from carrying around, you know, a, a few thousand people uh, who are watching over three days. But what for you, other than your, you know, fanboy moments with Cindy Morgan and I, I mean, I don't want to make either of them jealous. I wasn't sure which was more fun to watch your fanboy movement with Cindy Morgan or your fanboy moment with Ashley Eckstein. But other than those two things, what was your what did you learn? What was your takeaway? What was your favorite moment? So this is my my first expo. So for me, um, it kind of what we were saying before, finding finding that tribe. I'm, you know, mil- being military, there's there's not a lot of us as Disney guys out there. So to be, you know, openly talking about that kind of culture is it's not the easiest thing. So so being there, just being in that environment where we're all like minded folks and we all share and and the greatness that that all of everything Disney is, it was just amazing to be able to be a part of that and just to to see people enjoying themselves and just being there. Um, you know, Jeremy's presentation, you know, I'm a, I'm a tech guy. So to see that was, was amazing. And then, you know, we've seen a lot with the interactive and I play video games too, probably way too much infinity for my own good, but, (laughs) (laughs) but just to be able to be a part of that, I think was the thing that I took away is like, as a fan of Disney, this was probably the single greatest thing that I've been able to do to include myself in the company versus just being a user and just seeing things from, from my house. Nice. I got the Tron reference with you as a user. Uh, Frank, <laughs> you actually had to leave early and it was, it was interesting and sad to watch as you struggled. Like, how can I find a way to change my flight? Because you didn't want to leave. I mean, you, you really <laughs> sort of seemed like you were going to be sad that you were missing it because you just couldn't get enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like Corey, it was my first time out there too. And, uh, you know, in the past, you know, two years ago, I remember being glued to the box and just watching you streaming it and, uh, you know, keeping my Twitter feed refreshing every three seconds. Like, what did they announce now? What did they announce now? You know, and to actually be there and to experience that excitement, even if we weren't in the actual panels, there was a buzz in that building. Like as soon, you know, it was like we were. I remember we were sitting there and we're like, "Oh my God, Chris Evans is on the stage!" And you could just you if you listen to everybody walking around, everyone was talking about that same thing. It's like they're talking about Civil War, they're talking about Star Wars, and to be in the heart of that excitement instead of being at home just trying to you know see it through you know, a third party was, was just, you know, super exciting. Like what Corey said, you know, to find our people and to be there and to see that it, yeah, you know, I got to the airport, uh, late Saturday and I instantly turned the box back on and I was like, Oh, not, not nearly as cool as being there. You know? So, uh, I definitely was even at the airport, like, do they have later flights? I could probably still swing this. I'm going back. (laughs) Well, and you hit on the the thing for me that was the takeaway, and, and I say this every year, and I really, you know, even with the lines, even with all the other things, there was an amazing energy in that building because even as people were waiting online or if they couldn't get it, the, people were just enjoying the experience. They were just enjoying being there, whether they were watching it virtually. Corey, you saw especially the people who were chatting about it because they felt like they were in a room among friends virtually, but the people who were there, and for me, it is all about the people. It's the opportunity for me 
to meet people and look in their eyes and get and receive the handshakes and the hugs and to hear their stories and to hear what you know gets them excited and why they're there and what they're looking forward to that for me is the part of expo that i enjoy most and you know what i, I didn't care that i didn't see the panels and presentations because i knew i could get that information later but i would only have one shot for the most part to be able to see the cosplayers and meet the people and call people over to the booth and, and talk to the people that were there and really sort of enjoy the the excitement and the energy and the community. You know, it is. It is about the community that was in that building uh, that from people from all over the world. So I want to hear from those of you that are listening, whether you were there in person, whether you watched live in the box or whether you just sort of you know, caught up on all the updates uh, through whatever sort of medium of choice. What was the thing? What was the one thing that you learned or took away from or enjoyed most about this year's D23 Expo? And if you weren't here this year, are you going to come in 2017? Uh, thank you again to everybody who watched in the box for three days. Um, I, I sincerely appreciate Every single one of you, I appreciate Corey being the keeper of the box. Becky, thank you to you and your team for partnering together on the booth once again. It is always fun and exciting and interesting to say the least. And all of you who helped me out uh, with the booth and everything else, whether it was a grilled cheese sandwich or uh, <laughs> just being able to uh, to share the experience, I, I am sincerely, sincerely grateful and I appreciate every single one of you. Uh, we will hopefully be back uh, in 2017 and certainly be back at the next uh, Destination D's. And who knows when we need to start planning our group trips to Tokyo and Shanghai and Hong Kong and other destinations to be named later. So in no particular order other than random, Becky, Liz, Tony, Corey, Jeremy, Frank, those of you who were not here but were there, Brandon and Alyssa and everybody else who helped out, uh, thank you guys so, so very much. Um, I'll see you in 2017. See ya. Woohoo. Later. Yeah. Bye. May the shorts be with you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
and then send it and share it via Twitter or Instagram or using the WW Radio Facebook page. And I was going to select one for a chance to win a Disney prize package that included all seven of my audio tours of the Magic Kingdom, the 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book, a WW Radio Magic Band cover, and either a WW Radio iPhone case for your iPhone 5 or 6 or WW Radio luggage tags and stickers. I went through all the entries. Really appreciate you sharing such personal memories and souvenirs and for some of you, stories as well. And I love the winner's collectible and story this week because it's a map of Disneyland. More importantly, it was the map that his dad purchased on their very first trip to Disneyland when he was just one year old. So congratulations to Mark Mowry. He's at Marky Mouse on Twitter for submitting and sharing. Love the Indiana Jones getup as well. You win the package this week, but if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. We're going to do more like this in the future. But for this week, here's your next chance to win in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we were talking about some of the new things and attractions that are coming to the parks. And I was serious. I think that dining experiences can, and in this case, will be an attraction when the Jungle Navigation Company Limited's Skipper Canteen comes to Adventureland. And your question this week is simple. What was the original name of the restaurant at that location? Here's a hint. Go back to show number 370. You have until Sunday, August 30th at 11.59 p.m. to enter via email at contest at wdwradio.com. You're playing for the 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book and a WDW Radio Magic Band cover. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again so much for taking the time to tune in. I understand that your time is your most valuable commodity, and the fact that you choose to share some of it with me and let me share my love of Disney with you means so very much to me. Don't forget that our question of the week this week is what did you learn or are most excited about from the D23 Expo? Share your answer with me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Lou Mangiello there or on the voicemail at 407-900-9391. You can also leave your comment over at facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Also, I want to say quick thanks to some new members of the WDW Radio Nation and family, including Dave Jules, Rick Pierce, Edward Dickey and Zach Finley, I sincerely appreciate the love and the friendship and the support. And if you want to help the show and also get cool exclusive rewards, including monthly scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group where a lot of great conversations going on, custom personalized magic band covers, logo gear, backpacks, shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, live video group calls and lots more visit wdwradio.com slash support completely optional great way for you to help the show sincerely sincerely appreciate it also in addition to the podcast be sure and join me every wednesday night at 7 30 p.m eastern for wdw radio live where i talk about this week's walt disney world news in an interactive environment where you can log in and chat and ask and answer questions and be part of the show you can watch from your desktop or mobile device by visiting wdwradiolive.com you can also watch and chat by following me on periscope i am at lou Mangello there as well 
Also, be sure and check out the site for a lot of great content on the blog, the WW Radio running team. Sign up for our free email newsletter for exclusive content and contests and discounts. And for new videos, including my Disney in a Minute, how-tos, and the snack of the week, subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Radio. If you have a question you want answered on the air, email me, lou at wdwradio.com, or call the voicemail with a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks at 407-900-9391. And as I said, there's plenty of ways to connect and converse online. I'm at Lou Mangello on pretty much all the social, but I think that nothing beats a handshake and a hug, and that's why I do monthly meetups as I have been for the past almost eight years or so in Walt Disney World. You can visit the events page at wdwradio.com to find out about not just meets in the Walt Disney World, but on the road and other special events. The next meet of the month is our annual day at a Disney water park. It's Sunday, August 30th. We're going to meet at Typhoon Lagoon. I'll then have upcoming meets later on this year, but also look into coming with us on the WW Radio 9th Anniversary Cruise and Star Wars Day at Sea in February on the Disney Fantasy, our New Orleans meetup, the e-ticket adventure from New York City, to Puerto Rico on the Disney Magic and lots, lots more. I also do meetups on the road as I travel the country for speaking engagements and conferences. To inquire about having me come to speak at your conference to your business or to your school or work with you to maybe help you turn your passion into your profession, visit loumangelo.com. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors. Once again, thanks Becky and Mouse Fan Travel for partnering up on the booth at D23 Expo and for so many years helping so many of you book your trips to Walt Disney World or Land or Alani or Cruises or whatever it may be, all at no cost to you but with an incredible level of personal service. For more information, visit mousefantravel.com and you can get Celebrations Magazine delivered to your door or your digital device by visiting celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, you continue to prove that to me day after day. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let other people know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Come by and comment and share links to this week's episode over on Facebook. And please go to iTunes, rate and review the show there. It is incredibly helpful. Thanks to you. We have more than a thousand five-star reviews. Would love to keep them coming. I want to thank Her Heartbeats, Goofy for Mickey, ETM Girl 2011, and Ace J13 for their recent reviews. To leave a review, just go to iTunes and search for WDW Radio or go to wdwradio.com slash iTunes. We'll give you links and instructions on how to do it there. And finally, and most importantly, I want to sincerely thank you. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to tune in and to email and tweet and come by the booth and just so for the support and the love that you've shown me for so many years, whether you are a new listener or you've been listening since the very beginning, I appreciate you so much. So I want to give you my sincerest thanks once again. And I want you to do what you love every day. So it doesn't matter what you did. It matters what you do, right? It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or where you were. What's important is where you are, what you're doing now, and where you're going. The past is the past. Forget about it, right? The future is what matters. So take a leap of faith and always Keep moving forward. And if I can help you somehow, please let me know. I hope you have the most amazing week of your life this week. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Michael Brock from North Carolina. I am a first-time caller, but a long-time listener of your show. Just wanted to 
tell you thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, look forward to every show and uh, the videos and keep up the good work and hope to see you in the future at a meet of the month. Bye-bye. Hi, Lou. This is Tyler Moody from Ohio, and I'm here with my dad and Joe. Carter, Stephanie, Corey, Olivia. Destiny, Aaliyah. And we're all down here at uh, one of the resorts right now. We just got done with our couple-day trip. Got to go to all the parks here at Disney. It's awesome getting to listen to you talk about the show and bring up uh, all the Disney stuff when we're back home in Ohio. Sometimes it gets kind of cold and snowy there. And uh, it's really positive, and, you know, it's just great to think about, you know, what Walt did and what's Roy, you know, Putting all this together, you know, makes so many people so happy, and you get to bring that, you know, on a weekly thing, and all the awesome people you get to interview, and the history, and, you know, little tidbits you give everyone are awesome. We got to go to the phone in the hat shop at uh, Magic Kingdom yesterday. It was really fun getting and listening to that party line. So just thanks for everything, Lou. Hope you're doing well, and maybe we'll get to go on one of the cruises sometime. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Allie Miller from San Antonio, Texas, and I've been working on preparing this song for you because you said it's one of your favorites, and it's always been special to me, too. I hope you like it. Hey, this was really fun. We hope you liked it, too. Seems like we've just begun when suddenly we're through. Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye, because now it's time to go. But hey, I say, well, that's okay, because we'll see you very soon, I know. Very soon, I know. Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye. And tomorrow, just like today, the moon, the bear, and the big blue house will be waiting for you to come and play. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Yeah. Look at you listening all the way to the very end of the show, even after it's over. To say thank you and show my appreciation, I'm going to offer you a special discount code over at the WDW Radio shop. If you visit www.radio.com, click on the shop page and purchase any or all of the audio tours or the downloadable version of the 102 Ways to Save Money book, use code D23Expo, as long as we're talking about this week, use code D23Expo at checkout and save 23% off your order this coupon code will expire on September 23rd. Thanks again for listening.